Hey, I'm so glad to be here. I just, I need to take a moment because it's been a few weeks since I've been up here and uh, I just want to say how excited I am and probably introduce myself to all the people who've been coming since June. My name's Tim. I'm the lead pastor here and I actually was not off the entire last month. I just want to say that um, my family did get some time to take a vacation for one week of it, but I actually had the opportunity to travel to several other churches to speak on the subject of Scary Faith, my book that came out. And so it was just, it was an incredible opportunity. And I, I just want you to know, I feel like when I go other places, can I just say, I feel like I take my church with me, that I, I tell them, I say, I don't just represent myself, but really um, my story is our story. And so thank you for going with me. But man, can I just tell you, there's nothing like home. Oh my gosh, I miss you guys so much. I miss just, you know, I think it's so easy for us to take for granted what we have and what God is doing. It can be easy. I, I don't know if you feel this way, but if I miss one week, can I just tell you, I, I feel it in my soul. I'm like, oh, I miss so-and-so. I miss getting to see him and say high five. And I, I just think there's something to a rhythm of actually being in this place that actually fuels your faith and your soul. And so I've missed you all, and I don't ever want to take for granted because we did that for many years, and then all of a sudden something happened two years ago. Everything shut down. Like, let's, let's be honest. If you think back to what it was like, we could so easily be taking church for granted, and then all of a sudden we couldn't meet together for a few months. And it was like, I never realized how much I missed it. And today, as we kind of move in a direction, a new direction. I, I'm excited about this series. I wanna talk about something that we see happening in life. And the truth is this, over the last two years, I look back, I'm sure you probably look back, I think we all agree that life as we knew it was massively disrupted, wasn't it? Like, I think about this, a couple years ago, we had months that went by that we didn't gather together as a community in person, and we did the online thing, and, and that's good, it just, but I miss seeing my people, like I miss seeing you guys, and, and that disrupted our lives. And I think about what happened, you know, when all the restaurants and stores closed and our favorite eating places and our favorite coffee shop shut down or was closed, and we're like, what am I gonna do? I can't survive. And then you think about going to the grocery stores, and do you all remember the, the massive, like, uh, fight to get toilet paper? I mean, there's nothing worse than your life disrupted when you can't get toilet paper but I guess a lot of you probably, like myself, you had to cancel trips, you had to cancel some vacations, you had to cancel some family gatherings around the holidays that you normally would do. Like, I think all of us know what it's like to go through a season of feeling like life was disrupted. But you know what I kept saying for this all this past year? I wonder if any of you are thinking this. I, I, I was just, every, every day as we kind of move beyond 2020, I just kept, kept thinking to myself, I was like, I just can't wait for it to get back to normal. How many of you felt that way? Like, I just can't wait. I just want, I want life to get back to normal. Don't you? Like, that, that was everything. It was just, I want it to go back to normal. But here we stand a couple years removed, and can I just tell you, I wonder, just me, I wonder if disrupted is the new normal. I mean, think about it. We're not really back to normal, are we? I mean, I would love to say we're back to normal, but... If you're in the construction industry, can I just tell you, prices aren't back to normal. Lumber prices aren't back to normal, probably never will be. 
Restaurants, I'm glad we can go to restaurants and they're open, but can I just tell you, it's not back to normal. They don't have enough waiters and waitresses and cooks, and I get that, there's a massive shortage of staff, and half of the time they're closing early or they're shut down for a couple days of the week. I mean, we're not back to normal. And you think about the supply chain. The supply chain is not back to normal. If maybe you've been someone that needed to get formula and had a hard time getting baby formula. Not back to normal. When I think about even gas prices, how many of you would love it if gas prices would get back to normal? Anybody? Hello? Yeah. By the way, it's an interesting fact that you already know and you feel it in your wallet. But uh, we are at the highest national average for fuel across our country than we've ever been. And um, compared to this time last year, gas prices are up 53%. 53%. I'm sure none of you have felt that in your wallet. I'm sure none of you have, when it takes $85, $90 to fill up your Nissan Ultima, I'm sure none of you have freaked out about it. Right, Pastor Russ? He tells me all the time. He was like, it costs $90 to fill up my Ultima. How in the world, right? Not only gas prices have been on the rise, but we've seen food prices. If you ever go to the grocery store, if you're the person that shops, Food prices have skyrocketed, haven't they? In fact, I, I came across this uh, statistic from the Bureau of Labor Statistics that said that food prices on average over the, over the last 12 months have risen 11.9%. 12%. So, so your, your food budget is blown. Your gas budget is blown. Like you think about everything that's going on, and, and now what are we seeing? We're seeing inflation rise in our economy. The federal government is trying to, to raise interest rates to slow it down. Why? Because they're afraid of a massive crash. In fact, I was reading an article just recently. I probably shouldn't do this, but I was reading an article of financial experts that are predicting that by the time we get to 2023, that we are most likely going to be facing a major economic recession. Now, I don't know about you, but when, when I hear all that, I think, is this back to normal? No. Here's what, here's what the reality is, that disruption might be our new normal, at least for a while. And when I think about all of these things that are happening, can I just tell you what I've experienced and maybe what I've sensed? This is what I've sensed. I've sensed the anxiety of our collective soul rising. Have you felt it at all? Like if you just listen to the news or you just talk to your friends at work, or you just, I have felt like there has been this, this overall kind of sense within our culture of kind of like freaking out. Like it's been hard the last two years. Let's be honest. We have gone through something that most people would say is like global trauma. We already are exhausted, worn out, tired, depleted. I can't take much more of this. People have short fuses, have you noticed? And now all of a sudden, now we're staring down. It might get worse. Like, this is scary. This is the way a lot of people feel. And so if I could just tell you, this series that we're going to do for the next several weeks was not on my radar. I don't have it. It's not a series I was planning on doing. But a couple weeks ago, I told some of the staff, I said, I don't know why, but I just have this sense that people are, are starting to get nervous. They're starting to worry. They're starting to, to maybe get afraid of what's going on. And so I said, let's talk about it. Let, let's just spend some weeks and talk about what to do when life is disrupted. And I know we've been in it, but I don't think we're done. And I'm not sure we ever will be. Because you know what? It's not just the economy. Can I just tell you that all of us know this, but you can just be going through life and it just takes 
one bad decision. It takes one bad visit to the office, one blood work sample to come back, and all of a sudden your life can be disrupted. This is something we all deal with. And so I wanted to talk about our perspective. What, what does it mean for myself as a follower of Jesus to go through a season like this? What's my response to all that is going around. Because if I look at how the world is responding right now, let me just tell you what I see. I see fear, I see panic, I see worry, I see anxiety, I see depression, I see hopelessness, I see moving toward despair, I see panic. This is what I see in the world around us, right? But I think maybe we just need reminded, maybe today and maybe for a few weeks, that Jesus said, you need to expect this. This is what life is. Life in a broken world, you just expect all of the disruptions and the things that are gonna happen. In fact, there's this moment when Jesus was with his disciples and it's at the end of his time with them. And he's about to be arrested and he's gonna be tried and he's gonna be beaten and he's gonna be crucified, he's gonna be killed. And, and Jesus knows that in this moment, the rest of his disciples, their life as they've known it for the last few years is about to be disrupted. They're about to walk into something that's going to be so scary. And so Jesus takes a few moments to share with them that this is going to happen. We see this in John chapter 16. At the end of John 16, I just want to read to you one verse out of the message paraphrase because I think it maybe set the tone for what I believe for this series and the season that we're in. But in John 16, verse 33, after Jesus is telling them, here's all the really bad things that are going to happen. You can expect it. He said this, I've told you all of this, not to freak you out, not to scare you. But he said, so that, trusting me, you will be unshakable and assured. I love this phrase, deeply at peace. In this godless world, you will continue to experience what? Well, say that word out loud. Continue to experience difficulties. You're going to experience disruption. You're going to experience recession. You're going to experience supply chain lack. You're going to experience viruses. You're going to experience difficulties. But take heart, for I have conquered the world. Now, I don't know about you, but the perspective that I want to live with in a disrupted time of life is this. I want to live unshakable. Anybody else? Come on, I want to live assured. I want to live deeply at peace. When the world is responding in panic and worry and freaking out, I want to be so cool and I want to walk in peace. Why? Because I am trusting in Jesus. See, the world is holding on to the life as they've known it. They're holding on to control we're in the world. We're holding on to our, our financial ability. We're holding on. And when the world starts to shake and life gets uncertain and things get disrupted, what is our response? You see, I believe as a follower of Jesus that we can see it differently. I believe it can change how you see or how you walk through an experience like that. It all depends on how you see it. I've got a little illustration. You've seen it before. It's kind of a familiar one. But this glass Glass of milk, real simple question about how you see it. How do you see this glass of milk? Do you see it half empty or do you see it half full? How do you see this glass of milk? I know you've heard this illustration before. It's real simple. Just Are, are you the kind of person that is the half full, 
eternal optimist. I don't know if you uh, know any of those. In fact, how many of you would just kind of, you would just clarify and maybe classify yourself and you say, I'm kind of like an eternal optimist. I tend to be really positive about life in the future. Just lift your hand and hold up high if you're an optimist. That's cool. Okay, okay. Like, you know, I I love um, coming in contact with the eternal hopeful optimists. They're the type of people that no matter how bad it gets and, you know, it's like it could be stormy out, black clouds, rain, torrential downpour. But they're the type of people like, you know, I know the sun is out there somewhere. It's above the clouds. Just because we can't say it's still sunny somewhere, isn't it? And, man, we needed the rain. I mean, come on. I mean, my grass is kind of drying out. And so the rain is so great. It brings the flowers to life. And don't you just love it how it just brings life back together? See, that's the eternal optimist, right? Now, let me ask this other question, because we know we've got many of them in the room, but how many of you get really annoyed by all of those people, right? How many of you, let me ask this question, I just, how many of you would actually just, let's just own it, would, would classify and say, yeah, I probably tend to lean in the other direction and see kind of life half empty. Raise your hand, raise your hand if, you are, if you're kind of more of a pessimist. Raise your hand, hold it up, hold it up, come on. Come on, I'm gonna wait, because I know there's still a lot of people who haven't voted yet. Like, I want to see what he has to say about it. I don't know which one I am. You, you know, I, when I say a pessimist, I mean, uh, you're the kind of person that, um, the way you see life is, first of all, those people are annoying because you're like, this weather is miserable, okay? It always freaking rains in Ohio. Have you ever noticed that? There's always cloudy. It's always gray. It's never gonna get better. I don't care if the forecast says it's gonna be 82 in sunshine the rest of the week. We all know it's gonna rain every day because I live in Ohio. Now, some of you might be wondering, which one are you, Pastor? Are you the eternal hopeful optimist? Are you the half full? Or are you the half empty type of person? Which one are you? Well, I'll just go ahead and tell you which one I am. I tend to lean in the direction of a pessimist. No, I know, shock. I know it's a shocking surprise. It really is probably for some of you. I just, I tend to kind of lean in the direction where I'm like, Oh, if, it's, if it could happen, it's going to happen. And all the bad, oh, it's, it's you know, it, we're never going to be able to get back to meeting in person. And oh my gosh, it's never going to get better. And the recession and what it's going to do. I just want to own this, okay? I'm the kind of person that tends to lean in that direction. However, uh, as many um, pessimists as we do, we don't actually classify ourselves as pessimists. We actually call ourselves realists, okay? Got a bunch of you in here with me. How many realists are in the house? Raise your hand. Oh, there's a lot of you now. Liars. <laughs> I, I'm a realist. I'm not like those hopeful optimists that got their heads in the cloud. I'm not the person who sticks his hand in the head in the sand. No, I'm the person that is grounded in reality. Yeah, I see the world as it really is. You know, I... I I'm so detail-oriented, and I just, I see all this stuff going on. I have to read the things, and I know this is going to get real bad. They say it's bad, but I'm telling you, it's going to get real bad, and so you got to be prepared for it to get real bad, and, and I'm a realist. It, it, it's funny how we, we tend to kind of be either a hopeful optimist, that even in the face of really bad stuff, you can, somehow there's people that always just seem to find the silver lining, and then there's all the rest of us that 
we just, it's, it's painful, it's broken, it's messy, it's never gonna get better, and the, the other side. I, I was kind of wrestling through these. In fact, this has been a really challenging week for me because I, I, I felt like I was supposed to wrestle with this idea because I'm, I'm staring at what experts are saying and, and it bothers me and it affects me and I'm leading a church and leading an organization and leading all this stuff and I start to worry and freak out and think about those things. And so I started thinking like, how do we determine whether we're a pessimist or an optimist? Or how, how is it determined? Is it a personality type? Is it a, you know, genetic? And some scientists think that, you know, 25% of the way we lean might be connected to our genetics. Like, but you know what's interesting I've noticed is that sometimes you can see two different people who will go through the same situation, but they'll see it completely differently. It's like, why is that one so depressing to be around? And this one just seems to be like, you know what, I'm gonna make it through. I, I don't know if we can choose, but if we can, can I just tell you, I know which one I'd like to choose. And I think as we stare down a disrupted life, I, I asked this question today, many of you, you're real estate, I mean, which one are you going to be? Well, I don't have any choice in the matter. Mm, maybe, maybe not. I want to show you through a story, though, because God reminded me of this story in the Bible. And if you've got your Bible with you, electronic device, I'm going to start in Genesis chapter 18. And we're going to finish in Romans chapter 4 today. But Genesis chapter 18, I want, to, I want to share a story today with you of a couple, a husband and wife, that both experienced the same heartache. They both experienced the same pain. But Scripture tells us that they kind of saw it through a different lens. I'm talking about a guy and his wife, a guy named Abraham and his wife named Sarah. My guess is you've maybe heard of them if you've been around church. And if you know the story, Abraham and Sarah have been married and they're getting up there in life. They have passed the point of what we would call retirement age and they haven't been able to have children. And so I want you to imagine that for decades they have tried to have children and start a family and they can't. And one day God appears to Abraham now, we don't know about Sarah. We don't hear her in this moment, but God appears to Abraham. We don't even know what it was like, a vision, a messenger, an angel. But in Genesis 12, God appears to Abraham and says, Abraham, I want you to pack up your family, and I want you to move to another land because I'm going to bless you. I'm gonna do something so unique through you. You're gonna start a family, and that family's gonna turn into a nation. And through that nation, I'm gonna do something that's gonna bring blessing to the whole world. It was actually a prophecy about Jesus. And so Abraham believed God in that moment. He believed God. In fact, that's what Romans tells us all through is that Abraham just believed God. He's 75 years old. His wife's 65. They can't have children. They're getting past the point of no return. I mean, they can't have kids. And God says, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to bless you and you're going to become a daddy. Your wife Sarah is going to be a mommy. And so like the Duttons, they pack up and in 1883, try to find land. And they end up in this this land where God takes them and, and years go by. Years go by. And still no, no family. I want you to think about Sarah every month was her husband had told her, no, 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 God said we're gonna have a family. Oh, we are? Yep, God promised it. And it would, another month goes by, trying, nope. And then another month goes by, and then a year goes by, and two years, and five years, and 10 years, and Time just seems to go by and there's no children. 
In fact, at one point, God just appears to Abraham again in Genesis 15 just to remind him, Abraham, man, as many stars as are in the sky, that's, that's how many descendants are going to come after you. I mean, get, God, I'm going to bless you. Right after that, about 10 years after this promise was made and no children, Sarah just loses all hope. It's all hope that she's going to be a mom. And so she takes matters into her own hand and she actually takes her maidservant, Hagar, and she gives her to Abraham to be a surrogate and to have a child for her. And so Abraham agrees uh, pretty easily. It wasn't hard to talk him into it. Hey, you want to take another wife? And, and, um, and they have a baby, but it just, it just backfires. And it becomes a mess. And they have to send Hagar and Ishmael off and, and once again left in disappointment. Where we pick up in Genesis 18 today... 24 years have passed since God promised Abraham that they were going to have children. 24 years goes by. And they're sitting out in the hot sun one day, just basically trying to get cover from shade. When Abraham looks up and he sees three, what we find out are messengers from God, from heaven, angels, the Lord himself. We don't know for sure, but at least one of them maybe was Jesus if he showed up in the Old Testament. Or the Lord himself come to him in the middle of the hot, sunny day, and they ask him this question as he hosts them. It says this in verse nine of chapter 18. One of the messengers said to Abraham, where is Sarah, your wife? The visitors asked. She's inside the tent, Abraham replied. Then one of them said, I will return to you about this time next year, and your wife, Sarah, will have a son. Now Sarah was eavesdropping on this conversation from the tent. And Abraham and Sarah were both very old at this time, and Sarah was long past the age of having children. So she laughed silently. I imagine, she, oh, are you kidding me? <laughs> laughed silently to herself and says, how can a worn out woman like me enjoy such pleasure, especially when my master, my husband, is so stinking old? I'm like, dang woman, you are heartless like just now I, I want you just to consider Sarah in this moment here's Abraham and Sarah they had a promise from God 24 years have gone by okay now at this point Abraham's 99 years old and Sarah's 89 years old right I mean there's, there's no way this is happening at this point God is not gonna follow through with his promise and what's interesting as I was thinking about this is this is the first moment perhaps where Sarah hears for herself from someone other than her husband about this promise. See, all the other times God appeared to Abraham. And so I imagine Abraham went to her, you're never gonna believe this, man. I, I saw an angel and this angel said I'm from heaven and told me that God's gonna promise and we're gonna have kids. And I imagine she was like, what? We are? Yeah, he promised that we're gonna have kids. Oh, it's gonna be so great. And she's like, are you sure? Are you sure you heard them right? Because you get details wrong a lot, a lot. You get them wrong all the time, Abraham. Are you sure? No, no, he said it. And then years go by and no children. And then God appears to Abraham in a vision and says, God, I'm going I'm to bless you again. And he, I imagine he wakes up and he says, guess what? God came to me and said, we're going to have children. I'm starting to not believe you. Now here she is in a moment where messengers from heaven appear and she hears it with her own ears. And this is also the first time we hear a time frame given. 
this time next year, you're going to hold a son. And what is her first response? The, the, I don't know if you caught, but the, the pessimistic spirit in her, right? The negative, there's no way. It's not even possible. Like, I know I'm old, but my husband is really old. Like, I, this, this, is, this is a setting. And, and we see her response is different than Abraham's. This is what scripture shows us. That she sees it in a, in a light that it's like, this is never going to happen. And the exchange of what happens next is the Lord addresses Sarah in her spirit. Look, look at what it says in verse 13. It says, then the Lord said to Abraham, why did Sarah laugh? Why did she say, can an old woman like me have a baby? And I love this, verse 14. Look at, maybe you, if you have a Bible, maybe you'll underline this sentence because I just think it's so powerful. He said to Abraham, is anything too hard for the Lord? We're talking about the same God that created all this. You're going to say it's impossible? Is anything too hard for the Lord? He said, I'll return about this time next year, and Sarah will have a son. It says in verse 15, Sarah was afraid, so she denied it, saying, I didn't laugh. No, no, I wasn't laughing. I just, you know, I had to clear my, something in my throat. I just cleared my I was I wasn't laughing. And I love this. I love this. I don't know if you catch this kind of banter in the Scripture. It's funny. But the Lord said to her, no, you did. Yes, you did laugh. I caught you. I busted you. God roasted Sarah in this moment. Yes, you did. Not only did you laugh, and now you lied. It would have been better if you just said, yeah, okay, I just didn't believe it would happen. But I was looking at this moment, and I'm, and I'm thinking to myself, okay, if I were in Sarah's shoes, let me be honest, I would have reacted like she did. I'm not here to point fingers. If I had that many years of disappointment, she's 89, almost 90 years old, if I had almost seven decades of disappointment, I probably would have not believed it either. And there's something about pessimism that I believe that we need to capture in this moment. Where, where does it come from? Let me give you this thought. I believe that pessimism is rooted in the past. That pessimism is always rooted. I know we can be pessimistic about the future, but listen to me. It's rooted in the past. The reason why Sarah could not believe the angel or the Lord that spoke in that moment was because she had 70 years of disappointment. You, you see, that's why pessimists like to say, I'm a realist. It's because I have experienced letdown. I've experienced disappointment. I've experienced rejection. See, the reason why we so often carry that into the future is because we are constantly reliving it from the past. You know, if you've been let down before, you have a tendency to think someone else is gonna let me down. If you've experienced the rejection and fear, you have a tendency to think someone else is gonna let me down again. This is what we often do, don't we? I, I do this all the time. Some of you, can I just say, some of you ladies, you, you've experienced a miscarriage before. And so that when you get pregnant, it's really hard to get excited about it because you fear that it's gonna happen again. Understand that. Or, or maybe it, it could be rejection. You've put yourself out there and you've rejected so many, you've been rejected so many times. You've tried to put yourself out, you've tried to get a job, you try to get in this program and everybody keeps telling you no. And so after a while you're like, well, I, I guess I could submit my application, but it really doesn't matter because nobody wants me anyways, they're gonna reject me again. Or maybe you had a failed marriage and 
What happens when you have a failed marriage is a lot of times you carry that into every other relationship. And so now in every other relationship, you're thinking, oh, is he going to leave me? Oh, is she going to cheat on me? Because, listen, this, this is where pessimism is rooted. It's always rooted in the past. And if we're not careful, what happens is our fear of rejection, our fear of the pain, our fear of failure actually starts to become the narrative by which we live our life. Now all of a sudden, I go into every situation thinking, oh, the sky is falling. Oh, I'm expecting it to get worse. Oh, we're never going to make it through. Oh, it's going to get worse and worse and worse and worse. It's because this is what we do because pessimism is rooted in the past. And if we're not careful... Fear will have a tendency to begin to dominate the way we live. Can I just tell you personally one of the reasons why I think I have become pessimistic in life? I, I, I think one of the reasons why, and that's why there's so many that went, oh yeah, I'm a realist. The real, one of the reasons why is because it's a form of protection. It's because I have been let down before. I have been disappointed not just by people, but can I say this also by God? Because I have gone through anxiety. And, and because of that, I, I will start to think in my life that, that I just am gonna insulate myself. And so I'm never gonna get excited. I'm never gonna get hopeful. I'm never gonna allow myself to actually enjoy or to believe the best about any situation because I'm trying to protect myself from reliving that pain. I don't know if you do that, but can I just tell you that's what I do. I was processing this this past week with God because this was, I was like, man, this is hard because I see this stuff in scripture, but then it challenges me to the core. And I'm like, God, okay, I, I don't intentionally try to be you know, pessimistic. And, and it's not that I really believe that or want to live that way. I just, I don't know, I just do it naturally. And so I started to argue with God and I was like, God, I think the problem is, you know, it's my personality type. Isn't it funny that we have, some people are optimistic, some, some are pessimistic, and so what have we done? We, we say, oh, it must be a personality type. Some are wired that way, and others are wired this way, and so God, the reason why I'm pessimistic a lot of times is because of, like, that's my personality, and I felt like God spoke to me, and he said, Tim, it's not your personality, because I didn't make you that way, and I didn't make you to live with a spirit of fear, and I didn't create you that way. It's not your personality, Todd. Stop, stop using that as an excuse. See, see, the problem is it's not your personality, it's your perspective, Tim. It's your perspective. It's what you're focused on. It's what you're looking at. When I said, what do you see? Do you see a glass that's got empty space and is missing something? Or do you see the milk that is actually there, something that you do have? Do you see a half full or do you see a half empty? It's your perspective. And I felt like God challenged me and he spoke to me and he said, I have given you the power to choose what you focus on. You can choose to focus on everything around you that is shaking. You can choose to focus on what the world focuses on, which is what's happening with the economy, what's happening with politics, what's happening in our nation. You can choose to focus on that. Or, Tim, you can choose to focus on who I am and what I have promised you. You get to choose. No, 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 I'm just pessimistic. Well, but what if you could choose to not be? I bet some of you never thought about that. I'm just, well, that's just who I am. It's just how I am. That's funny. 
We say that about a lot of things. We say that about sin. Well, I just, you know, it's just who I am. I just do this. I just, no, you can choose. See, I actually believe that maybe you can choose your spirit. Maybe you can even choose your perspective. See, what, let me tell you what optimism is. If pessimism is rooted in the past, here's what I believe optimism. Optimism is rooted in a future promise. Now, now, listen, I need you to really listen to this because here's what every pessimist thinks. Okay, I'm just going to be happy-go-lucky. Pastor said I should have a smile on my face and I should go around and say, oh man, isn't it a wonderful day even though it's raining and it's awful and man, God is so good even though life sucks and I should be going around through life and, and so I just gotta be fake. I'm not talking about fake. I'm not talking about some fake version of trying to drum up some type of positivity even though I'm mostly negative. No, no, no. I actually believe true optimism is rooted in something deeper than that. It's rooted in a future promise. What did God say to Abraham and Sarah? He said, I'm going to give you a son. I'm going to bless you, and I'm going to do this. What is it rooted in? Is it rooted in Abraham and Sarah's ability to have a child? See, Sarah thought so. That's why she got Hagar involved. But when we understand that there is something deeper that it is rooted in, then I actually believe that even the most cynical realist can actually begin to choose an optimistic spirit. I want to respond like, can I say this, like Abraham did. See, it's in the New Testament, the Apostle Paul gives us a unique perspective about Abraham in this moment. And I'm not saying this to, to bash on Sarah because I imagine this whole dream of being a mom and then not experiencing that promise and getting your hopes up again when you're 65 to only have them dashed for 24 more years. I imagine I would have responded like Sarah. You know what's interesting? about the promise that God made to Abraham in Genesis 12. When you think about it, that promise was actually more for Sarah than it was Abraham. Because Abraham could have children. We learn that through Hagar. The promise was really for Sarah, that she would have a son. And Paul tells us in Romans 4, this is the perspective that Abraham had in it. This is what I want. It says in verse 18, even when there was no reason for hope, Abraham kept hoping. Even if the economy starts to crash, I want to keep hoping. Even if life gets more and more disrupted, I want to keep hoping like Abraham. How did he do it? Here's what it says. Believing that he would become the father of many nations, he was believing something. For God had said to him, this is how many descendants you will have. And Abraham's faith did not weaken. Wouldn't it be incredible if we could go through, no matter what gets disrupted in life, but we could realize that our faith doesn't get weakened. That the economy doesn't have a hold on my spirit. That the, the challenges of what we're walking through doesn't actually control my perspective. His faith did not weaken, even though at about 100 years of age, he figured his body is as good as dead and so is Sarah's womb. But look at verse 20. But Abraham never wavered in believing God's what? Everybody say that word out loud. Believing God's, come on, say it with me again. Believing God's, God's promise. In fact, I love this. His faith grew stronger. 
And then this, he brought glory to God. He was fully convinced that God is what? Say that last word, that God is, he is what? Come on, say it again, he is. I want us to get this in our spirit. He was convinced that God is able to do whatever he promises. Is there anybody here today that actually believes that God is still able to do the things that he has promised? See, this can change your perspective. This can change everything about how you see the world and about how you experience life. I'm not talking about fake, contrived positivity. I'm talking about something deeper than that. You see, when it says that he hoped, he held on to hope, that he, just, I'm just gonna hold on to hope. Some people think that that just means, well, I guess I just, I just believe that one day, and I don't know, I just, I'm gonna be positive and, and hope things turn around. No, because you need to hear this. Hope is always attached to God's promise. He was holding on to something that, was connected to the promise that God had made him. Abraham, I told you what I'm gonna do. Is there anything, I remember what the angel said to Abraham in Genesis 18, is there anything too hard for the Lord? See, Abraham believed it. And because of that, he kept hope. At nearly 100 years old, and still is not able to have children with Sarah. And what does he do? He holds on to hope. Can I just tell you that it's very possible that over this next two years, life will continue to be disrupted. It's very possible. We could go into recession. We might not. I don't know. We might deal with more disruptions. We might deal with recession. We might deal with more setbacks. We might deal with more things. I I don't know. But you know what I, I came away with as I studied this? I came away with that I actually can choose. Even though life is disrupted, I believe that we can choose to say that my spirit won't be disrupted and my faith won't be disrupted and my perspective won't be disrupted and what I focus on won't be disrupted. I actually believe that we can choose that because listen, if you focus on what might or might not happen, you will freak out. If you focus on what might or might not, we might go into recession, we may not go into recession. The virus might come back, or they may not come back. Okay, things might have to shut down, they may not have to shut down. Interest rates might continue to rise, they may not. Gas prices might go over $6, they may not. If we focus on what might or might not happen, listen, we will live shaken lives. We will not have peace inside of us. Why not choose now to focus on what we know will happen? What do I know will happen? In anything that happens, here's what I know. I know that God will provide. I know that God is my provider. I don't trust in my paycheck. I don't trust in my company. I don't trust in my job. I trust in God. As Paul said, that my God shall supply all your needs according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. That's a promise that I can hold on to. God's my provider. What can I trust? What can I trust? I can trust that God will give me strength even when I am tired and I'm weary and I want to give up. I want to be like Abraham, that when we go through disruption, my faith actually gets stronger. I really believe that God can give us an inner strength that is stronger than the pressures that are coming against us. Here's what I know, that even if you walk through heartache, even if you go through tragedy, even if you go through pain, here's what I know, God promises to draw near to us. He said, I'm not going to leave you. I know some of you are walking through something really painful right now. And you're wondering if God is even around. I want to speak something over your soul today and say that God is here. I believe that many of you have been feeling that way. You're sensing his presence right now. 
What you wanted was God to actually fix your situation, but what God really wanted to do was give you his presence. You see, we might go through some hard seasons. We might go through something hard still, guys. I mean, it's possible. I'm not here trying to bring gloom and doom. I'm just telling you what the experts are saying we could go through. We're gonna talk about it. We might go through hard seasons, but here's what I know God has promised us, that these light and momentary troubles are actually achieving for us a glory that outweighs, outweighs them all. Here's that means, that God's gonna take every hard and painful thing, and he's actually gonna do something inside of you for his purpose, and ultimately for your good. And here's what I know as a church, because as a pastor and the leader of a church, I could get scared when I see what's being predicted and the economy and recession and what's that going to do for our support and what if, you know, people ever going to come back and all, all this stuff that we do. And then I was reminded what Jesus promised when he called the disciples to start the church. And he said, oh, by the way, I will build my church and not even the gates of hell will be able to stop it. No recession will be able to stop it. No economic fallout will be able to stop it. No disease will be able to stop it. No virus will be able to stop it. Listen, I mean, I just, we, we need to stand there and you either choose to live by the promises of God Well, I promise your world will get shaken by every disruption that comes. I don't know about you, but I want to choose to live with a half full faith. Oh, I know, I wish my glass was full. But even if it's not, I want to live with the half full faith, not a half empty faith. I want to live with the perspective where I just, I'm going to trust in, I'm not going to trust in myself. I'm not going to trust in the economy. I'm not going to trust, I'm going to trust in what? God's ability. I'm going to trust in his strength. I'm going to trust in his provision. I'm going to trust in his presence. I'm going to trust in him to heal, to provide, and to bring us through it. And by the way, I actually wonder if in moments like we're experiencing, and we might experience, I actually sometimes wonder if these might not be the greatest opportunities we'll ever have as a church. Because when it gets darker in the world, that's when light just seems to shine brighter. What if God is going to do something the church has been praying for for decades but wanting to see but maybe when the world loses its peace and when the world is shaken and they don't know where else to turn maybe they'll turn and they'll look and they'll see a group of Christ followers that have such a steady deep peace inside of them and they say I want to know why you live like this in the middle of it and what if the greatest revival we've ever known is about to break forth and God's going to do something greater in and through you and in the church than we've ever known before so I, I, don't, I don't know if you're the optimist or you're the pessimist. And I don't know if you can, but I declare today, I'm choosing to be an optimist. By faith, because I'm trusting in God. Amen? Come on, why don't you stand to your feet with me today. I just believe as we begin this series together, I don't know where you are. I don't know if you've felt unsteady. I don't know if you've, I don't know if you've felt like uneasy in your soul. I believe the greatest thing that we can do in those moments, honestly, is to get into the presence of God. Maybe that's what our soul needs more than anything else. You know, we think we need all this stuff that we've been running after. We think we need all the money and all the things that we've been so accustomed to. Maybe, what if God uses this season to strip some of that away to say, you know what, the only thing you really need was me. Maybe now we'll discover a nearness to God we've never known. We just close your eyes. We just bow your heads for a moment. I, 
I don't want to skip past this. This isn't just I went to church and I heard a sermon. This is a moment for us just to be in the presence of God, to experience the peace that only his spirit can bring. Father, I pray right now. I pray, God, for the supernatural peace of the comforter, of your spirit, God, to saturate our souls. God, I'm asking right now for you to forgive me for my lack of faith. I do not claim a pessimistic spirit. I do not claim a pessimistic personality. But today, God, right now, I'm choosing my spirit. I'm choosing my focus. And God, I say, I put my focus on you. Maybe today, maybe this is what you need to do right now in this moment. Maybe you would just say this. Maybe you say this in your, in your heart. Maybe you say it out loud. You say, God, today I put my focus on you. God, today I trust in your ability. God, today I, I receive the peace that only your spirit can give. God, in this moment, I just pray for a supernatural move of your spirit in every person in this place. Every person, God, watching this right now. I ask God right now for you to begin to fill us with faith. God, give us eyes to see you beyond all of the the things that have been said about the season that we're in. God, I, I pray that you would help us to be able to put our eyes on you, God, in this season. God, I help you. I pray that today we would remember that you are that God that did miracles 2,000 years ago. You're the same God that does miracles today. God, as we're declaring your faithfulness in this place, God, we believe you are our provider. We believe that, God, you're our uh, promise keeper. We believe that you are the God who comes through for us. Thanks so much for tuning in to this message. I hope that it encouraged you and inspired your faith. If God is doing something in your life, would you take a moment and let us know? We want to connect with you and we want to be able to pray for you. All you have to do is shoot us an email to hello at the x.church or you can always send us a DM on one of our social media platforms. And if you know somebody that would also be encouraged by this very message, why not take a moment and just share it with them right now? And as always, I want to say thank you to every single person who so generously financially supports this ministry so we can continue to get messages like these out to people all over the world. We believe God is building something special and you're a significant part of it. Until next time, have a great day.